Purpose, a podcast that highlights the unique stories of professionals that pivoted their careers to align with their work lives and personal lives more purposefully and with more joy. Pivot with Purpose is hosted by Megan Hull, a globally accredited career and business coach and creator of the Megan Hull Method. Welcome back to the Pivot with Purpose podcast. I'm your host, Megan Hool, and in this episode, we talk to Cody Elaine Oliver, CEO and co-founder of Black Love, Inc., the premier 100% Black-owned partner for celebrating 360 degrees of Black love. Thank you for listening to Pivot with Purpose with host Megan Hool. You can find out more information about each guest, including full transcripts at pivotwithpurposepodcast.com. And if you'd like to share your own Pivot with Purpose, click on the share button and add your story to the conversation. Finally, be sure to subscribe and share your comments wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Your support amplifies our voice. And now, this week's episode. The media company founded by Cody Elaine Oliver and husband Tommy Oliver is a hub for Black couples and singles to have transparent conversations around relationships, parenthood, dating, and more through their OTT app, podcast, network, documentaries, and live events. Birth from the frustration of a lack of representation of healthy Black relationships in mainstream media, Cody and Tommy created an independently funded Black Love, Inc. to showcase authentic stories about the joys and challenges in Black families and relationships at every stage in life. In forging her own path, she continues to inspire and restore hope for love for countless others while navigating a thriving career and balancing her own family and love life. Cody, Elaine, Oliver, welcome to the Pivot with Purpose podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. Hi, how are you? Hi, I'm doing so well. How are you? How's your week? How's it going? Every week. It's a lot lately, you know, juggling Mm -hmm. three kids and and wifing and running a company and pivoting. (laughs) Being very thoughtful. And pivoting. We're always pivoting. About my pivots. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. Yes. Well, I have to say, I know how busy you are with all the things. So I'm so honored to have you on our podcast today. And I cannot wait to dive into your story in terms of your career pivots, which Mm -hmm. is at the heart of our podcast, but also after learning more about you, watching your own Black Love episodes, your pivot in your career also led you to find love, didn't it? Yes. Yeah, one one of my pivots, yes. (laughs) Okay, so I I have to pitch it. Maybe there's a show in here next, Cody, maybe like a career clarity coach defining love, okay? so Mm, I like that. I'll pitch you later. (laughs) No, but seriously, I think in these moments where sometimes things don't feel like anything is on the right path or the right time, the universe is pretty magical, right? And will always show you the way, be it love, career, or mm-hmm. otherwise. And honestly, here we are today. So I love it. Mm-hmm. Thank you for taking your time. And 
Let's dive into the early years of coding. Mm, Recently, I've loved, you know, I've loved asking this question as I'm interviewing people. So I'm going to put this out to you as I find it so fascinating to see how we transition as little people Mm -hmm. when we're younger and how our personalities we pick up as kids tend to stay with us throughout our lives. So tell Mm -hmm. us, what were you like as a child? And is that consistent with who you are now? The short answer is yes. What was I like? I mean, bubbly, happy, silly. I sometimes tie the fact that I was a child actor with where I am now because I've always been a creative, like a storyteller. I was also an athlete, but by the time I was in third grade, I was doing plays in Fort Worth, Texas. And then in sixth grade, I was on a TV show. Then I had to make a choice because acting is a really time-consuming thing. I had to make a choice between auditions and athletics. And at that time, I was playing volleyball, basketball, and doing track. So I was just busy and I was happy, but I've always been a storyteller for sure. I love it. That's so awesome. I feel like as kids, we always have so many hobbies, especially like back in the day where we didn't have our cell phones or PlayStation. (laughs) They're like, get outside, go to theater. And I also love the theater and acting also, but definitely came to the point where I was playing sports and got a job and they're like, yeah, you can't do it all. That hustle kind of stays with us. I really love it. Well, well, give us a glimpse into the early stages, kind of Mm -hmm. digging into your career, speaking career-wise. Did you go to school for what you set out to do within your first job? So, no. When I went to college, again, the creative, right? But my mom's a lawyer, Uh my dad's a doctor. They both own their own practices. And so I like stability. I was like going, I wanted to be a business major because I'm like, well, everybody needs business majors. And so maybe one day I'll work at a magazine or something, you know, bright and shiny, but in the field of business. I hated accounting and changed my major after a year to broadcast journalism. I think it was a year, year and a half to broadcast journalism. And even that, I was like, okay, I can't do this business thing as a study, but Mm -hmm. what can I do in a creative field and still feel like there's some stability, there's some track there. All of this is 2001, 2002. So I think that now there's more of a creator mentality that's accepted and exciting to young people. Ooh, I feel old saying that. We're not old. No (laughs) one. But, you know, for me, I I pivoted. I changed my major to broadcast journalism and I actually have a story there. Mm -hmm. I knew I wanted wanted to be in the school of communications. I wasn't trying to be an actor or anything like that. I was trying to figure out like, what is that creative space where I can use my writing and my voice and or face, right? Because I was even looking at radio, TV, film as a major. And my mom was on Oprah Winfrey's show. It was a breast cancer episode. She dealt with breast cancer and she was one of the guests. And I talked to Oprah and her producer, Diane Hudson, about it. And like, what should I change my major to? And they were like, Broadcast journalism. Now, two mm-hmm. things about that. A, when Oprah tells you to do something, you do it. So I did Right. It. I was going to be like, A, can we just come back to <laughs> Oprah? Because I'm dying to get like any mentor on the streets. You're like, mm, just right. casual talk to Oprah. Yeah. Hashtag goals. Hello. <laughs> it was so Amazing. long ago now that it's like easy for me to kind of look at it in that oh, way. But, but it's still so cool. Yeah. But it was definitely like, okay, that's what she told me to do. That's what I'm going to do. Right. I'm but, doing it. But even think about, yeah. again, this being 2001, 2002, and then old school mentality. For them, it was, I don't know what radio TV film even means. Like if I see that on mm-hmm. a resume, broadcast journalism, I know what you studied. I know what your capabilities are. Like 
do that. And so it made sense. And so that's what I did. And then when I graduated college, I went to work at Fox News. I shouldn't even have said that because I hated it so much. But I went to work at a 24-hour news network and it was horrible. So that's where we get into, the, I guess, the first pivot or the second pivot. Yeah, <laughs> I think sometimes, too, we don't know what we don't know. Yeah. And sometimes the biggest shiny jobs and um, maybe, as you know, and we've been connecting, do a lot of recruiting and career coaching, talking to people about making those moves. And they see mm-hmm. like, oh, I got to work mm-hmm. for this brand or mm-hmm. I got to get into this. And fine, you get in there. And sometimes it's just not what it is. And it's kind of the expectation hangover, I call yeah, it. But you yeah. learn so much, Absolutely. right, about what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Yeah. So I think those are meaningful jobs to have, too, where you're like, not the right thing, but I'm taking away yeah. some things. It was yeah. huge because it definitely led yeah. me to my next move. And going backwards, when I was in school, I did all the internships. I'm very big on if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it all the way. So I had an internship every semester. There were so many things within the news business that I learned. And one of those things that uh, I was working for the CBS affiliate in DC, and I did news packages, like feature news packages with a longtime anchor. She had been there 30 years, so she could do whatever she wanted. And so the packages that we did each week were highlighting a key figure in DC that was making an impact on people and typically someone in the community, right? Much less like news, like a breaking news. This is what happened, car accidents and shootings. And it was not that at all. It was like the director of the symphony and how they were (laughs) taking over. And so it was much more creative and emotionally driven. So when I worked at Fox News, I just needed a job. I had interned there before I graduated. And when I graduated, I traveled around the world for six weeks. And when I got back, my dad was like, I need a job. So I started working at Fox News and I definitely hated it. Wonderful people that I worked with in DC, but the overall brand and the work, the fact that every day we would have a meeting about the worst things that happened in the world and what to cover, it was just not for me. But it led me to fall in love with trailers for movies and TV and movies and TV themselves. But it led me to fall in love with that and say, I've got to figure out how to get in that business. And storytelling, right? Because Mm -hmm. in highlighting some of those guests, that's what it's about, is telling people stories. So where was the pivot from from Fox? What was next? Yeah, so I went to USC for film school. I decided I wanted to study something in film because, again, I didn't know what I was doing, so I had to learn. And I researched what is a director, what is a producer, what is a writer, and realized that producing is the business of film, the business of storytelling. And so I said, with a lot of creativity in there, so I was like, okay, I want to learn more about that. And I went to the Peter Stark Producing Program at USC in 2007 after working for Fox News for two years. I dove in, (laughs) been to LA, to school, to every internship I could get. And so that was the first pivot is like, now I'm in film school. And then from film, were there other career doors that were opening? What was that path that you were taking? So within it, and particularly being in a producing program, I became obsessed with CAA, which is Mm. then and now the leading talent agency. But what was interesting to me about CAA was that they had 
agents who mm-hmm. represented actors, writers, directors. They had a marketing department. They had, I think, what they called lifestyle at the time, which was, again, this is 2008 when I entered there, but this is when celebrities were like building brands, right? You might be an actress, but now you have a clothing line or a line of bedding. <laughs> I found all yeah. of that to be so interesting how yeah. this one company could help people in all of these various ways and even sort of licensing in terms of projects, right? Like a Mm -hmm. particular film could now have a line of products associated, et cetera, and how they package all of that for the overall good of the project or the piece of talent and making money. And so I was very interested in all of that, had great relationships there and considered like, should I be an agent? You know, like, Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that why I'm here? And ultimately decided that I had stories in me that I wanted to tell. And if I'm an agent, then I'm working on everybody else's stories. Right. But that was one of those things that's like, okay, now I really have to even further hone in on why am I here? What am I doing? And so I graduated after interning there. I interned at a studio. I worked there for almost two years, I think, at Fox Searchlight. Then I went to the Los Angeles Film Festival where I was working underneath the festival director, who's a woman, uh, a mom, a wife, and a full-time film producer. The festival was sort of a side gig. And that was really to learn from her. I wanted to be all of those things. (laughs) And so I wanted to learn from her how to do it, how to juggle it. And so that's where things probably start to get more Mm, interesting. Ooh, a big juicy question. What was that major pivot in your career that you feel like really changed the trajectory yeah. of life? What yeah. was it? Where mm-hmm. did it land you? I would say <laughs> the big, big pivot came yeah. after that, right? So I go to film school. Mm-hmm. I'm learning, like, what does it take to be a producer? What are all of the skills and the experiences and the mentors that I can take along with me? And there were sort of two pathways, produce movies or TV, just like find projects, push them uphill, get somebody to pay for them and make them, or work with someone who makes movies and sort of be on their bandwagon in a good way, right? Like be their assistant or coordinator or whatever. And so I was doing both of those things, right? I'm developing, I'm optioning scripts, et cetera. And I'm also sort of latching on to these amazing women that I worked for, sort of hoping that I could be on the journey with them. And for various reasons that didn't happen, whether it's like, oh, they were working on projects with really tiny budgets or overseas. And so it got to be very discouraging. It got really overwhelming that it felt like nothing for me was hitting, was like going where it needed to go. And at that same time, while working at Film Independent, which is the nonprofit that owns the Los Angeles Film Festival, after working there for three years, and again, simultaneously, everything I just described, right? Working on these projects on the side and trying to work with my mentors. My father also was diagnosed with prostate cancer. He lived in Texas and I was in Los Angeles and was very hopeful at first, but ultimately it was like, I want to be able to make money which in the film business, it's a very hard thing to do early on. I need more freedom, right? I want to be able to travel home more. And hustling, the way I'm hustling, I'm not able to do those things. And I'm not able to be in Texas as much as I want to be. And also, I was very discouraged already professionally, like, what's going to be the thing? And so that was just a really difficult time full of what decisions, what pivots do I need to make to A, be happy, yeah. And see, truly tend to my family at that time. And so I decided to leave the business, right? Mm-hmm. To leave the film mm-hmm. business, both with the goal of making actual money, because I had tons of skills, but in the industry that I was in, 
you know, they're just not going to pay you a lot until reaching a certain level in film and TV. My focus was film though. So that's why I keep saying it. TV was not really a thought for me back then. And I left the business. Pivot one or big pivot. One. And I started and working moved for, to Texas, oh, right? No, I, Is that I, I didn't move. move. I didn't move. Oh, I was okay. open to moving. But ultimately, yeah. I took a job at a PR firm here in LA that had, mm-hmm. I did some film related things there, but I took a job at a PR firm because I knew I could have an actual salary. And mm-hmm. um, all the while, I'm like 27 at this point, I think. So I, it, it just, like, I'm, I'm thinking I'm grown and I should be <laughs> further along. And so I take this job where I can have like an actual salary and just a little bit more comfort. And and it was good. It was very positive. But my father passed away within six months of me being at that job. Mm. I guess to, I, I say that to say I did what I needed to do at that time. And this company yeah. was really beautiful and wonderful and giving me the time away when I needed it. But the pivot, the reason that that pivot was so significant is not because I led me to a career in PR. It was because I had an experience that grew me, that taught me new things, that gave me new relationships, that even taught me a different side. Even though I had worked at CAA and learned so much from all the different departments there, PR wasn't one of them. And so learning the inside of that sort of organization and then having the job that I had which was being a publicist for Canon, who had launched a line of cinema cameras, led me to, so I'll give you the, here we go. Yes. (laughs) So my father passed away again. He had cancer, so we knew that it was possible. This was not like a huge shock, but of course it was still very hard. My father passed away August, 2013. By September, 2013, I was back at work and we were at the Toronto Film Festival with Canon. And my job was to meet filmmakers and assess their projects so Canon could give them free cameras for movies and projects. And I met Tommy Oliver, who was a filmmaker at the Toronto Film Festival, who ultimately we start dating right away and Mm -hmm. is now my husband. But the reason (laughs) all of this is important is because I would never have met him without the change that I made, without the pivot to, to the PR firm and Canon. And also what it did was we start our relationship. We start talking about Black Love, which is a project that had been on my heart for many years at that point. We convinced mm-hmm. Canon to give Tommy, who's a talented director and cinematographer, a camera loan within a few months mm-hmm. to make a documentary mm-hmm. called Black Love, which, mm-hmm. you know, was mine. Here we are. Yeah. And, and that was the beginning of a lot of things. Oh, so many things. And so many more juicy things. Well, thank you for sharing all of that. And gosh, all the learnings and those pivots Mm -hmm. and the continuing to show you the path. And in my coaching practice, where I work with a lot of people one-on-one, a lot of what we do when we talk about, I talk about this in daily life too, is Mm -hmm. limiting beliefs. Mm -hmm. And the fact as humans, we are so good at telling ourselves we can't do something or believing something that someone six years ago in a random conversation or your aunt's best friend's cousin told you about life and what you should be doing at Thanksgiving when you're 17 is true. <laughs> I'm like, those things sit with us, Cody, right? Yeah, you know, they do. I shouldn't be doing this, you know, or I shouldn't be doing this. And so in this podcast, I always ask a yes or no question, mm-hmm. and then we go to a quick break. So like a little teaser. Sure. So I'm going to drop one on you now to piggyback on this topic. So are you ready? Mm-hmm. Okay. So yes or no. Was there anything you had to let go of to move forward within your own journey, be it life, career, belief, mi- misconception to be able to kind of get to a next level? Absolutely. Well, that's an absolutely. And with that, we are going to go to a quick break and we will pick this up when we get back. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Cody, so at the break, you said absolutely. So tell us, what did you feel you had to let go of to be able to move forward? So I had to let go of my expectations, like mm-hmm. every pivot that I described, right? I had to let go of mm-hmm. any thought of, am I failing at something by making a change? And then I also had to let go of even my parents' expectations. I would say overall, they were very supportive on all the changes that I made or just on my path, period, overall. But there were certainly moments of like, girl, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. Because it didn't look how it looked for them. I mean, we're talking about doctor and lawyer, the professions that you think of when you're five years old. It's like that and a fireman. Like, what do you want to be? It's still a process, right? All these years later, when I'm making new pivots and making new decisions about how I want to live my life is like, whose expectations am I holding on to? Because sometimes we have these things in our head and then we realize like, that's not even me. I don't actually care about that. That's just something, like you said, that's just something that, you know, yeah. our auntie said, you know, over dinner At when we were 17. Right? Yeah. You're like, ugh. Yeah, that, that <laughs> auntie, you I'm not is, doing that. <laughs> is in your, why do I think yeah. that? Yeah, yeah. I know. It sits with us. And I also know these days, many of our listeners, we're looking for signs, right? To know when the timing is right, to make a meaningful yeah. change. And yeah. I truly believe this. Like, we have to be in the driver's seat and be our own best advocates and superheroes. Yeah. As the saying goes, like, no one's coming to rescue us from us. And <laughs> I find it so mm-hmm. powerful when we can truly stand up and take control of our own path and journey, mm-hmm. find the confidence. And it's so magical to see people who are really doing what they love, mm-hmm. like you. Pivoting to Black love, and maybe this is the answer, but what was the point in your career journey where you just knew you were finally in alignment with that purpose in mm-hmm. life? Mm-hmm. For sure, it had to be definitely after Black Love premiered. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying like premiere day one, you know, it had to be probably within a year. Not to say that I ever doubted it on the first year journey, but I mean, seeing it unfold. So I'll give a little of the background because I, I sort of said it maybe assuming people know what Black love is, but yeah, it started off as a, like a nugget for me, right? It, it was looking at the way that Black relationships, Black marriage was described as in crisis in the media. Mm-hmm. Like literally there's a Black marriage crisis and Black people are getting divorced more often than other people and Black women are not desirable on these dating apps and such. Like you're seeing these headlines and sure there's data in there that's like, oh, okay, that's what they mean. But you see the headline and that's it. And that was happening. And, and fast forward to me deciding or realizing that while we're being told what's not possible whenever we see what is possible whenever we see Barack and Michelle Obama and other couples that I admired from the film business, Gina Prince-Bythewood and Reggie Bythewood and Mara and Salima Keel, people who like everyday folks don't really know who they are. Like I'm mm-hmm. inspired, but if yeah. they're not, if their stories aren't somewhere, then 
No one else can utilize them as a blueprint or even an inspiration piece. And so that's when I decided I wanted to create a place where Black love stories live. And I knew that back in like 2008. And then when I met Tommy in 2013, so there were certain things that I you know, tried to do to push it along, but it was not a documentary in my mind. So when I met Tommy in 2013 and we decided to make it a documentary, 2013, start shooting in 2014, we licensed the series. So then we go from doc to series, another pivot. We licensed the series to own in 2016. And then it still doesn't air until August of 2017. So uh, that's yeah. how long it was with me. That's how long I was working on it with him. And then it premieres and we figured it would do well, right? Like there was so much warmth around it and people were very happy about it. But then we had live events and we got to see people in real life reacting to mm -hmm. it and what it meant to them. And that would be my answer to when I knew I was living in my purpose. The impact was not just on me. It was on so many other people. Like you said, like everyday people. How many times do we ever ask to like share our own stories or lives? It's so fascinating. I love watching it. The early on years of meeting people yeah. when you first meet. I didn't like you. Yeah. <laughs> I just that, love it. You know? And you found love on the way too, creating. Thank you for sharing that inspiration as, you know, I was definitely going to dive into to that question. And I guess like the catalyst in bringing this show mm -hmm. to life, like you said, it's been sitting with you. And mm -hmm. at any point, it's just like, we can do all the things, even if it's an idea, you know, 10 years plus in the mm -hmm. making. Things don't mm -hmm. happen overnight. Seeds for flower gardens, flowers don't come the next day. You yeah. know, yep. it's all these things that we nurture. What can we expect from watching the show? What are some of the stories? Yeah. Takeaways so, about the concept? One of the things I yeah. love about it, like I said, it was purely because we were told there's a narrative in the news and entertainment that portrays Black mm -hmm. people as anything but happy, loving husbands and wives and mothers and fathers. And I just wanted to show that side, right? Yeah. For, for the world to see, but for us to see and identify with it. If you didn't grow up in a happy home or whatever. And then I wanted it to be unapologetically Black. I wanted to be able to talk about our Greek letter organizations and about our fears as a community, the things that directly imp impact us, systemic racism. And are these things that like come up all the time in the show? No, but I wanted to be able to go there without having mm -hmm. to over explain anything. And so that's mm -hmm. really the crux of the show. But then the other part is it's just about what it takes to make a marriage work. Because yeah. no, we're not trying to say that any of these relationships is perfect. We're not trying to say that any one thing can like doom a relationship, but that this is what it looks like when two people enter into a committed relationship. Like marriage was important because there's a, it's an added level of commitment. We talked about like, should they be dating? Should they, can they be together for 30 years? We talked about that stuff. But right. We decided like the marriage piece was important because you've made a commitment before a lot right. of people, yeah. God, yeah. illegally. Yeah. And we wanted to hear from folks who had made that commitment and what they were learning and how they were approaching staying committed. And so that was important. Mm -hmm. And then yeah. what I also wanted to do, there's a lot of things I wanted to do. And it sounds like a lot, but ultimately like it was like this perfect easy approach. But the other thing I wanted to do is show that it doesn't always look how you expect it to look. We spend a lot of time making checklists about height and job and how much money somebody's making and what kind of parents yeah. they have and yada, yada, yeah. yada, yada, yada. Yeah. And the reality is folks who are in loving relationships don't always have that checklist. 
fulfilled, they realize, oh, that doesn't even matter, right? The way the person, how much they work out, that doesn't matter. Like, this is what matters. In addition to how we meet, you know, especially as women, we expect it to be like, he sees me. No, I see him. Right. He sees me. He asked me for so my hard, number. Yeah. And then we fall in love and get married. Yeah. There's so many stories that are way bumpier than that of people who yes. are perfectly happy. And so I wanted to sort of dispel some myths and I guess release a lot of stigmas around yeah. finding your partner and keeping <laughs> that partner, yeah. right? And the boundaries that it. you have to set. And, and then what I learned... Or what became really clear was like the way that our preparation or lack thereof plays into our relationships. We have these images that we idolize from our parents or from TV. We have these experiences from the way we grew up, experiences that may be really bad. We may have unrealistic expectations. We may have daddy issues or mommy issues or whatever that we're bringing into our relationship. And so ultimately, all of that is what makes the show to me very universal. We did it to be unapologetically Black, but it's about relationships and all of them are affected by this sort of thinking and these sorts of experiences from our childhood. Yeah, that was so true. And how are you curating your guests? What was that process like in terms of finding people to come on the show? The show was partially celebs and partially everyday people. And it was Mm -hmm. important because we wanted to show that celebs, as they say, they're just like us. But that really marriage and partnership is pretty universal. And so, yeah, the only difference might be that somebody's famous and recognizable or that they might have more money. But, you know, if they have all of that, they also probably work a lot. And so just really thinking about... um, all couples from the standpoint of what are their challenges and how are they working through them. Mm -hmm. So it was important to have that balance throughout. In doing the show for six seasons, we made sure that we did that season after season and incorporated new themes as much as possible. And the show kind of grew with us because we were engaged when we started filming it. And then we were married and then we had one child and then we had three. And so (laughs) as we began to evolve in our relationship and our experiences, so did the guests and the questions that we were able to ask and our understanding that our brand needed to be much more than romantic love and marriage, which is why we launched all the other components of Black love. What have been some of your biggest challenges with creating the show or on the journey to create and how did you overcome them? The show was very challenging. We aired the final season this past summer, summer mm-hmm. 2022. And so yeah. for a lot of reasons, one is really just wanting to quit while we're ahead, right? Wanting to end in a place where people remember it as a beautiful thing. And then the other was one of our biggest challenges was also one of our greatest gifts. So Tommy and I shot the show, Just the Two of Us. I booked all the guests, all the couples, and I did that because I wanted to start a personal relationship as early as possible. We didn't deal with managers and publicists as much as possible. We would go directly to a person. Even if somebody was Viola Davis, Tommy met her in a parking lot, her and her husband, and we communicated with them directly. It wasn't through agents. And the idea was like, I'm Cody, you're Viola. I'm just using her as an example. We're just a couple who wants to succeed, and you guys are a couple that is being successful. And Mm -hmm. it's not an interview for your movie or your upcoming book or whatever else it is. This is just yeah. a conversation. And so I was very hands-on with our talent. And then Tommy and I shot every interview, just the two of us. He was the cinematographer, lighting. I set up mic, like everything, so that we could create mm-hmm. space. 
so that there's not a mm-hmm. PA in the corner staring at the couple talking. It's just two couples sitting down having a conversation. Super comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, I love that. ultimately was a very big challenge as we yeah. began to grow in our lives. We have three kids now. As we began to grow professionally, Tommy has a production company that has been growing <laughs> rapidly and was directing, he still is, but he directed, I think, two movies over the course of this Black Love experience and all of it, juggling all of that and the children, that was our greatest challenge. Yeah. But you did it, right? You were, you you're here and wrapped it up, out. six yeah. seasons. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you said, what was your biggest takeaway from these past six seasons of Black Love? What are you really proud of? What did you learn? Yeah. Well, alongside yeah. the docuseries, so we launched the docuseries in 2017 on OWN, and we've licensed it to several other distributors. So you can watch it on Discovery Plus and Hulu. Mm-hmm. And I'm forgetting many, but also- all of our streaming channels. Yes. yes. <laughs> so we licensed the series. The show launched in 2017, and we do our own marketing because we licensed the show, mm. does not own it. So they don't mm-hmm, do any mm-hmm. marketing for the show. So Got there it. was a need for us to make it successful, to make sure that people knew it existed, right? And we launched the Black Love Summit one year after the show, so 2018, alongside blacklove.com. I say this to say that that was the beginning, the launch was the beginning of the greater brand. And the way that all of these things tie together is that we celebrate 360 degrees of Black love. So romantic dating and partnership, parenthood, self-love, community love for the purpose of, as I mentioned earlier, we show up in our romantic relationships as our experiences of all of these different examples of love whatever our parents, however our relationship is with our parents and our siblings and with ourself is what we're bringing to the table in our romantic relationships. And so we can't really have conversations about like partnership and love and dating without having conversations about baggage and healing. I know, I hear that. Mm -hmm. I would Mm -hmm. say that is something I felt like I knew beforehand, but truly Mm. couldn't have understood it as fully as I do now without probably my own marriage, but also without talking to so many couples and seeing that through line of very early on. Well, my mom used to make my dad dinner and his drink was ready at five o'clock when he came home every day. And now I'm mad at my wife because she don't do that. Yeah. Your mom is not your wife. And right. it was, it was 30 <laughs> like, years ago, you know? Mm, yeah. Yes. So, yeah. Realize, and that's uh, a, you know, that's a silly a example, but that still yeah. but it, that no, extends but to other things. I feel that and see that even in my own marriage too. I mean, mm-hmm. very different upbringings between me and my husband. Mm-hmm. And very early on, Cody, I had to check myself a few times. A kid coming, me from divorced parents, yeah, a lot same. of drama, mm-hmm. a lot of drama. Yeah, But here we are Same. with my husband, like the sparkly, like married for like 35 plus years, mom, sweetest pie, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> does anything for anybody, you know, and he was just very well taken care of as yeah. the baby. Oh God. And I'm the oldest. So God bless us. <laughs> I'm like the, the fearless leader. He's such a caretaker. And I think he gets that from his mom. And yeah. I think that's why we are such a good match because I am the emotional fiery one and he does not at all get that way or emotional. It doesn't scream, doesn't do that. So it's like finding that balance, but, you know, certainly appreciating what we both bring to the table, but it's, it's such, that's such a cool statement that you really put out there. Cause I think a lot of people getting into relationships, like it's not easy and it's not easy these days and COVID really worked us all in so many ways, you know? So 
And it's yeah. and with social media, it's that much harder because right comparison. Even, yes, mm-hmm. even when we started, like that was a thing, but it yeah. wasn't what it is today. And so now all we're no. doing is looking at other people's highs and trying to compare our life to it. And right. that's that's not the fair. highlight reel is what I call it. You yeah. know, the life yeah. highlight reel. Yeah. What are you most excited excited for looking into the future of Black Love and all that you're looking to build within your own media company? Yeah. What's next? Where are you we know, find I mean, you? Look, personally, yeah. I'm excited for having a little bit more time to give to the overall. Right. All those things I just mentioned, you know, self-love and, and community and health and wellness, all of that is such a big part of why I'm still in this thing. And but I was so holding to the show and everything I gave to it that I'm looking forward to truly being able to take a step back and give of myself and my vision to these other parts and having people receive that. Right. I think my brand, my life is about impact and legacy of being how I can help others and myself, child. I'm not perfect. I'm on this journey, too. And so I look at it as um Everything that I learned, I've always felt this way, like all the way back to like college, USC's film school, everything I have ever done. If I have information, like I want you to have it too. To share it. So I look at Black Love, the brand, the same way, right? As I'm Mm -hmm. learning about therapy, as I'm learning about how our mental health plays into our relationships and how, as I'm learning about these Mm -hmm. things, I want to be able to give that information to everyone. Oh, so beautiful. You stole my question. I was going to ask you, what would you like your legacy to be? But you already answered it, Cody. So about <laughs> yeah, anything else, be, I mean, there's a lot that that's going to be coming up and I'm so excited to see, but uh, that was so beautifully said, but anything else you want to kind of piggyback on in terms of your big picture legacy further? I'm seeing a shift overall in the way mm-hmm. we as humans are observing our mental health and mental and physical health and wanting to do better. I think there's still like a want, but I'm, I don't know how to take those steps and or those steps are very yeah. hard. So I'm good. I'm going to eat this pizza and not go to therapy and it's fine. But right. I think I think there is a shift and I'm and I'm excited that there's more conversation around truly setting boundaries. And there's some of it is dark. It. Some of it is yeah, yeah, <laughs> over the yeah. top. Right. Yeah. But I'm glad that the conversation is happening Me and too. I'm grateful to be a part of it. And so I just want better for us, child. It is hard at times. And so, and as such, especially in a place like this, right? Pivoting with purpose. As such, I hope that people give themselves grace. Mm -hmm. We're all learning what's best for us. And then we're all learning how to take the steps toward what's best for us. And it's not always easy. Right. Well, and you share so many Beautiful examples in kind of, uh, did you get my question sheet? Uh, my next question you already answered before I let you go. You're psychic. You're also psychic. Okay. That's awesome. Now, what other advice maybe would you give to somebody listening in that has just heard your beautiful story and so much more to do, but you know, someone facing a challenge or pivot or a major life decision, what advice would you give somebody right now if they're facing a big challenge or a pivot? My first thought is trust yourself. And then even with that, which can be really hard, I think someone asked me something like, what would I tell my younger self or something like that, which yes, I really love that like, question too. Mm-hmm. It's, it's that like, you're okay where you are. Mm-hmm. I think that I was frustrated early on with not accomplishing X, Y, and Z, 
which maybe some of that frustration is like a healthy way of putting a fire under yourself, but just not to judge yourself so much. And so in that releasing that judgment allows you to trust, allows you to trust that I'm making the absolute best decisions I can right now and that they're going to serve me one way or the other. They're going to serve me by allowing me to like really learn, even if I fail, or they're going to serve me by propelling me forward in the ways that I want them to. But to truly give yourself that grace and trust yourself. And don't listen to what someone told you when you're 17 (laughs) and know that seeds with thoughts and visions you have from years ago, you can bring them to life. You just Mm -hmm. have to be brave and you just have to start and trust. Yeah. Such, so beautifully said. Thank you so much for sharing that. And so where can our listeners find and engage with you? All of that, all of that. I am currently the host of two podcasts. Um, my new BFF and mm-hmm. a mama's den where I'm a co-host. We talk about motherhood and sisterhood. And then please follow Black Love, not just yeah. the Instagram page, blacklove.com, but like our activities. You know, we have live events. And I'm Cody Co. If anyone's interested in my basically my children on Instagram. Oh, yes, we're all interested <laughs> and we're gonna link everything and get ready. <laughs> okay, I'll take it. I'll yes. take it. Yeah, I love it. Well, thank you so much for being on my podcast, which was something I just threw out there in the pandemic. I'm going to also tell people's stories, Cody. So from one storyteller to another, thank you for being here. And I just have loved hearing your story. And I know you will inspire our listeners to find their own meaningful life pivots and even maybe from turning into the show, learning about their own love or life or find true love. So I look forward to seeing all that is to come for you. So thank you so much. Thank you. Pivot with Purpose with host Megan Houle is a fashion consort production and part of the FC Podcast Network. It is produced and directed by Phil, a.k.a. Corinne. And a special thank you to Spencer Powell for our theme music. Learn more at pivotwithpurposepodcast.com and be sure to follow us on Instagram Pivot with purpose underscore podcast.